0: You're listening to Enchanted, a podcast on the history of magic, sorcery, and witchcraft. I'm Corinne Wieben. We have a few announcements before we start this week's episode. First, Enchanted is taking a brief hiatus for the month of October while I move the studio, and co-producer Tom and I start on Season 2. We've got some great stuff planned, so you'll definitely want to stay tuned for upcoming episodes. Second, these are pretty unprecedented times. I'm teaching fully online for the first time ever, which requires way more time and energy than I would ever have imagined. So we've decided to go from a bi-weekly schedule to a monthly schedule for season two. We had a long talk about it, and we realized we wouldn't be able to keep up the current pace of the show without sacrificing the quality. We want to keep bringing you the best stories we can possibly find, and in order to do that, we need to slow our roll just a bit. It'll still be the same great show you've been enjoying, now released on the first Friday of every month. Lastly, today's is a special episode. I sat down recently with Tanner Davidson for his Monster Legend podcast, a weekly podcast about the rumored monsters in the world, and we had a wide-ranging conversation about medieval history and historical films, we debated the scariest creatures in Doctor Who, and Tanner told me the story of West Virginia's Mothman. I've cut together some highlights from our conversation. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, listen to the full episode over at Monster Legend Podcast, available wherever you listen to podcasts and at monsterlegendpodcast.com. We've also put a link in the show notes and on our website, enchantedpodcast.net. And with that, let's get on with the show.
1: Hello and welcome to Monster Legend Podcast. I'm your host, Tanner. And today we have a special guest co-host. Hello, Ms. Corinne. Hi.
0: Thanks for having me on.
1: I'm very welcome. So, who are you, Corinne?
0: So, I'm an associate professor of history at the University of Northern Colorado. I specialize in medieval and renaissance history, and I'm also the host of the Enchanted podcast on the history of magic.
1: So, when did magic, like, history start? When did that come up?
0: Oh, I, in all honesty, I think magic has been around as long as people have been around. Uh, It's because there are so many things that I think we can define as magic. It's pretty much any ritual or action that uh, gives us access to supernatural powers to change the world in some way. Uh, So there is a lot. I I think um, probably... As soon as people started developing language and ritual and art and things like that, they had magic.
1: What kind of, me about your podcast, Enchanted Podcast?
0: Uh, so the podcast started um, because I'm teaching a, a course on the history of magic this semester. Oh, awesome. uh, and I was looking for a podcast that was sort of a storytelling podcast about different magical topics and couldn't find one. And so decided <laughs> if I can't find one, uh, and this is clearly what I want to listen to, then I got to make it.
1: Some, someone was like, I want to do this. I can't find <laughs> anything on this. Yeah. let's make it.
0: <laughs> I, I honestly think that's how most podcasts start. <laughs> I think yeah. the host was like, well, I wanted to listen to this podcast and it didn't exist.
1: <laughs> do you find like different um, regions have different histories on magic?
0: Um. Yeah, I think so. I uh, have just started to kind of branch out beyond Europe. Europe is my area of specialization. um, So it's what I'm used to dealing with. But uh, my co-producer a few episodes ago pitched to me an idea on uh, Empress Chen of Wu, uh, who was convicted of sorcery. And so we ended up doing that as an episode. And that was really fun. Um, So I'm Uh, I think I'm in the middle of putting together an episode right now on, uh, a medieval sorceress in Africa. Uh, Mm. so yeah, so I'm getting to branch outside of Europe, outside of my own area, which is nice.
1: Speaking of magic and medieval folklore, what do you think about the Arthurian legends?
0: Oh, I love the Arthurian legends. Um, I just got to talk about in the latest uh, episode of Enchanted, I got to kind of name drop, uh, the Arthurian legends, uh, cause I talk about the Fisher King, um, the idea of this King who's like too wounded to govern and all he can do is kind of sit and fish and he has to wait for a knight to find a cure for him. Um, and I use that kind of as an analogy for King Henry VI, the beginning of the Wars of the Roses, who, um for reasons we still don't understand, kind of seems to go catatonic for a while uh, and can't govern the country and kind of his enemies get to gather their power and that ends up creating the Wars of the Roses.
1: Um, what do you think about the... I think there was a there was an author, a king author.
0: Oh, that's a really good question. Um. I've heard a lot of arguments for and against. Yeah. I think, I mean, one of the most convincing arguments that I've heard is the idea of, um, kind of at the end of the Roman era in Britain, uh, there may have been, a, a military commander of some kind that kind of united people together to fight off invaders. Um, but, Yeah, I I think probably there was once a a figure like King Arthur. I don't know if it was the King Arthur that we tend to read about in the Arthurian legends. Probably those are, you know, like many legends, those are kind of taking reality and kind of uh, building it up to something grander. So I don't know if there was a King Arthur in the way that we think of King Arthur. I think there probably was a, a high king that united Britain for a little bit uh, in order to kind of create peace. Yeah.
1: What about Robin Hood?
0: Oh, I think that's another good one. <laughs> I don't... There are so many medieval stories that that it kind of makes me wonder if there was, in fact, somebody like that. Um, we don't have any records for a kind of woodland bandit at the actual time of like King Richard and Prince John. Um, I'm not entirely sure how it and the legend of Robin Hood ended up getting located at that particular moment. Um, but yeah, definitely there are stories about kind of bandits robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. And, um, it's quite possible, especially in the 14th century, that kind of era of the hundred years war and, um, uh, of the Wars of the Roses, certainly those created lots of hardships for subjects in both France and England. And I can see the appeal of, you know, somebody uh, maybe robbing wealthy travelers for their riches and then using that to kind of feed their village or their city. So probably there's there were figures like that.
1: Do you think... Um- which movie do you think had a better way of displaying at time? Like the one with uh, Russell Crowe or the one with the uh, space from the aliens?
0: Oh, is it the Kevin Costner one?
1: Yeah, the Kevin Costner one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. That's... Yeah. Um, I... So I've, I've seen them both. I actually teach them both um, mm-hmm. in one of my classes. And... I personally, my preference is for the Kevin Costner one. I'll always watch that one. It's not like a, yeah, it's not a good film, but it's fun to watch. Fun. Uh, and I, in terms of accurate depiction, I don't know, they could both kind of have pros and cons. Yeah. Um, you know, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves kind of plays a lot with this idea of um, Morgan Freeman's character. Azim, who's uh, a Muslim character, that he's kind of more technologically advanced uh, in the midst of this, you know, backwards medieval England. Yeah. Um, and certainly that that has a grain of truth in it, that the Islamic world would have been more technologically advanced. Yeah. Um
1: like mathematically Yeah,
0: yeah. They've got access to, you know, all the ancient Greek and Roman engineering and mathematical texts. Um and the the in terms of the look of it, I think the Russell Crowe one does a slightly better job uh, of what things might have looked like and what people's homes and what a castle might actually have looked like. Um, but that like there are still issues. Like there's this whole big battle scene in the the Russell Crowe one where it looks like D-Day. Like there's a bunch of like landing boats that they've somehow created for the Middle Ages (laughs) uh, that end up like running up on the beach, uh, which is super weird. So I think, um, I don't know, I really like medieval movies, but one of my kind of big beefs with them is the hero in medieval movies is always the guy who is modern. He's the guy who, you know, wants democracy and tolerance and freedom and um, you know if you think of Braveheart right he's all about like freedom and nationalism and you know bringing power to the people of Scotland Um, same thing with Robin Hood Robin Hood's almost always depicted as uh, a champion of democracy and economic equality versus this tyrant Um, and it's interesting because it's always the hero is always the person who's the least medieval in the film the villains are the ones who actually have kind of proper medieval attitudes. That like there are haves and there are have-nots, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And we're all supposed to you know do our part in this system. Um, so it's it's always interesting to me that the hero in medieval movies is the guy who's most like us, and the villain is always the guy who's most like the actual Middle Ages.
1: Do we, do we think that the like Legends of Dragons? Game?
0: Oh, I've heard a bunch of really cool theories because um, so many different civilizations have some form of dragon. I mean, I dragons in the Middle Ages represent a lot of things, but I think usually in like old English literature, like the dragon in Beowulf, for example, represents, uh, yeah, represents like a king who doesn't share his power. Like if you look at Beowulf. The king in Beowulf is King Hrothgar, and he's nicknamed Hrothgar the Giver because whenever he and his men, you know, sack a place and get treasure, he's really careful to generously redistribute that treasure to his warriors. Um, and so a king who just keeps treasure all for himself and kind of sits on it really kind of destroys the economy of his kingdom, you know, or his yeah. tribe. Um, and so I think... That's what dragons kind of come to represent is, you know, a dragon gathers a hoard of treasure together and then guards it and doesn't let anybody else come near it. So I think dragons kind of represent bad kings in that way. Um, in terms of the actual shape of a dragon, I've heard lots of different theories. Um, one of the more convincing ones is that, because all dragons in any civilization kind of have similar features, right? They've got a long body, they have kind of a... a cross between like a lizard and a lion head Um, sometimes they have wings Uh, and so it's the explanation I heard was it's all the stuff you notice first about predators so it has like the body of a snake Uh, it's got the talons of like a bird of prey and it's got like a face similar to uh, a lion or a tiger so it's, it's all the things like you would freak out about if you're sort of uh, primitive man out in the grasslands somewhere. <laughs> um, so a dragon becomes like a combination of all of these types of predator.
1: What was it It was a, a monster that failed with his arm or something.
0: Oh, Grendel.
1: Grendel. Do you yeah. think Grendel was like the other king's like son?
0: Oh, uh, I, I yeah, I have heard that that theory and I like it because yeah. yeah, Grendel Grendel definitely represents, um, I think he represents a couple of things. One is definitely like a disruption to the the peace and social order because um, he keeps coming in and like destroying people. Uh, yeah, I, and I think Grendel also kind of represents the reasons that we as early medieval people don't go to the forest and don't go into the swamp swamp and into terrible things live there so i think grendel also kind of represents the danger of of the world outside of civilization um yeah beowulf tears his arm off in a really uh graphic and kind of awesome scene uh but yeah one of the things that it's fun about beowulf is not necessarily grendel it's grendel's mother yeah um Beowulf defeats Grendel pretty handily but then he's got to like go down into the cave and face Grendel's mother who is super dangerous
1: what do you think about Morgan Fay? I, was-
0: I so it's the Arthurian legends are super interesting because they're this kind of hodgepodge of medieval literary genres so there are parts of the Arthurian legends that are actual medieval like chivalric romance like Lancelot for example, and Galahad and the search for the Holy Grail. Um, Those are very kind of 12th century things to write about. Um, But there are also parts of the Arthurian legends that are clearly part of a much older tradition, probably, you know, either early medieval or maybe ancient Celtic stories. And that's where you get the figures like Merlin and Morgan Le Fay. Um, You know, you get Uther and the dragons uh, you know, I think, so it's kind of interesting because you get this Celtic tradition that has been there for centuries and centuries and it gets uh, mishmashed together with the Romantic tradition. So suddenly you've got a world in which you've got Lancelot and Galahad running around looking for the Holy Grail, but you've also got Merlin and Morgan Le Fay using magic.
1: What do you think yeah. about the theory of like uh, Morgan Le Fay being author's sister and them having a kid together who was... Oh, oh was yeah, <laughs> uh, Mordred. Mordred, yeah.
0: Yeah, Um, yeah, Mordred, who ends up killing Arthur and, like, Mm. destroying England. Here's my guess. Here's my take on, my hot take on Morgan Le Fay, (laughs) Uh, is I think it represents these, like, older stories and rituals. So if Morgan Le Fay kind of represents the goddess figure in the Arthurian legends, then the idea of, like, the king having a child with her is sort of... Recalling, I think this older tradition, the fact that Mordred comes out to be super evil, uh, I think is interesting that, you know, Mordred comes out as this like destructive force. Uh, I'm not quite sure what to make of that, but yeah. And it could be, maybe that's the, the kind of medieval Christian final take on this is like, if you do this, if you do these like old kind of pagan ritual traditions this is what happens. Like the whole country gets
1: destroyed. Uh, Do you ever watch Doctor Who?
0: Oh yeah, totally. I I haven't watched like the classic ones, but I've watched all of the, the like new ones.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Who's who's been your favorite doctor?
0: Um, uh, I, I
1: I know it's hard because they're so, they're so different and so great for different reasons.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I really loved David Tennant's doctor. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, he like, he was so lovable and special and awesome. And I, I loved him so much that when they brought Matt Smith on, I was like, oh, I'm probably not going to like him, you know? Cause like, yeah. how do you beat David Tennant? And then I watched Matt Smith and he was so good. So I i am kind of torn cause I loved Matt Smith's doctor. I love David Tennant's doctor. I think it's interesting cause David Tennant's doctor was like, really kind of sensitive and caring and naive and I liked that about yeah. him. Matt Smith's Doctor like was sort of that but then had these moments where you're like, oh, that guy definitely destroyed planets. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which was cool. I like, I liked that version too where it was this Doctor who really likes having fun but he really likes having fun because he's done some terrible things.
1: Um, what was your favorite episode from to
0: Oh, I mean, I I love the two Weeping Angels episodes. Oh, those were cool. I mean, honestly, anything written by Stephen Moffat. Yeah. Um, those are always the best episodes, I think. Um, but the Weeping Angels is so, it's so cool so as a premise. Yeah, nice. and then they so they did a really good job with both of them. Because I that could be a really cheesy way to introduce, you know, a monster, but... Yeah. They did a really but they good job. did it so well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Monster for you and Doctor Who.
0: Um it's a toss up between the weeping angels and the silence. Those are like the two that I think of immediately. I mean the Cybermen are kind of scary too.
1: Yeah, since they're, they're dead yeah. people
0: yeah and they're yeah that they they're humans who've had like all their humanity stripped away from them and they're they're kind of inexorable like like you can't reason with them you know it's really hard to stop them so yeah they're kind of scary
1: favorite grim story
0: oh um i really like snow white oh yeah that's the one i'll kind of go back to because there's a lot to that one um I mean Cinderella is kind of cool too, but I think Snow White is the one that I like I will read forever.
1: Oh, still so because I'm thinking of the the Disney version, I think it's
0: really Oh yeah. <laughs> um yeah, the Disney version's pretty different. <laughs> yeah. What's frustrating about the the original one is in the Disney one, she just like gets the apple. That's the first time she's ever been tricked. Yeah. You know, and she like eats it and blah. Um But, like, in the original story, she gets tricked a few times. Like, she gets given a poison comb that, like, knocks her out. She gets given, I think, laces for her dress that, like, knock her out. And then, like, she gets offered an apple. And it's like, girls, stop taking things from people. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, the actual original story is a little bit harder because it's like she keeps getting offered things. And then when she takes them, they try to kill her. And yet she keeps taking the things
1: yeah, uh, yeah. And like in, Dis- in Disney movie, it's pretty frustrating because, like, it's supposed to be like, I guess, lover's first kiss saves her, I guess. But that was the first time that like, the prince ever seen her ever. Right. And, like, like why? You don't know this person. How oh, you love right. her.
0: Right. Also, she's dead. So, yeah. <laughs> like, a little it, weird.
1: It, yeah, a little necrophiliac.
0: <laughs> yeah. <happened. laughs>
1: But so where can people find Enchanted Podcast?
0: Uh, people can find Enchanted really anywhere they listen to podcasts. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, all the major podcast platforms. Or they can go to EnchantedPodcast.net.
1: Awesome. Where people can find you. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that is, yeah. If you want more information about the show, everything's up on the website.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you.
0: Thanks so much. It's really fun. Really fun, too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. If you want to hear more of our conversation, be sure to check out Monster Legend Podcast with Tanner Davidson, available wherever you listen to podcasts. You can get in touch with us via email at enchantedpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at enchantedpodcast and on Twitter at enchantedpod. To learn more about the show or to become a supporter and help keep the magic going, please visit EnchantedPodcast.net. I'm Corinne Wieben. Thank you for listening and stay enchanted.